I'm excited about this brand new series. This is part one. We kind of teach in uh, chapters here at Pathway Church, and so you're getting in on chapter one, and I'm real excited about all that God's going to speak to us about. I got to tell you, my kids like watching Disney Channel. I don't know if anybody else in the room likes watching Disney Channel, but that's one of the channels that we watch. Now, I prefer uh, HGTV or ESPN, one of those kinds of things. Anybody else in the house that like ESPN or HGTV? Yeah, yeah. But my wife, now my wife, she enjoys watching the Hallmark Channel. Anybody else in the room like watching the Hallmark Channel? Okay, she prefers this. I mean, we all know when she comes in the room, Hallmark. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be watching the Hallmark Channel, right? Now, I don't know about you, but do you like a good love story? I, I you know, if you do, you're going to enjoy this series that we're stepping into because this is an amazing love story. But even if you don't like Hallmark Channel, you're going to like this series because the book of Ruth is way better than the Hallmark Channel, any Hallmark movie. Come on. I mean, we know how Hallmark movies end, right? I've predicted every time we watch them, it's the last kiss and then the roll of the credits. I mean, that's just kind of the way Hallmark ends. Um, The book of Ruth is not just another love story. The book of Ruth is a real-life story with real-life people going through some really hard circumstances and finding love and purpose. It's a true story of God at work in the lives of real people. This really happened. And so when we study this and read this, and I would encourage you to read it through the week, it's only four chapters. I mean, together, it might take you about 20 minutes to read the entire story. And as you read through it, I want you to think, these are real people. This really happened. It's not just history. It's not fiction. It's real. The Apostle Paul tells us why books like Ruth, the book of Ruth, are included in the Bible. Take a look at what Paul says. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. The scriptures give us patience and encouragement so that we can have, what's that last word? Hope. Now, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what you need in life. But we feel, we have felt that this series is the direction for our church to go into. And I believe that you're not here by coincidence. I believe that you're not just listening by coincidence, watching by coincidence. There, there is so much encouragement, so much hope in this story. I think Ruth, honestly, is one of the best narratives in all of Scripture. And as we unpack it over the next several weeks, we're going to see that. There's so much for us to learn. So I just want to jump right in and get right to it, all right? Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel. Now, what takes place, this narrative takes place around 1200 to 1000 BC when things were out of control. I'll just be honest with you. You flip back one page to the book of Judges in your Bible, and we read the last verse of the last page of the book of Judges. Take a look. It says, in those days, it was in the days of Judges, that Israel had no king. So the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Huh. So let's just, let's just think for a minute. If, if you combine spring break with Mardi Gras, and a high school pool party with alcohol and no parents. That's what it's like. That's what's going, in, going on in the entire country, the entire nation. Everyone was doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. It's Jews gone wild. I mean, honestly, it's absolute insanity. Things are out of control. People don't submit to authority. People don't listen to the police. They don't listen to teachers. They don't even listen to their mamas. 
I mean, it's just out of control. Why? Because the people had turned away from God. And because of this, God removed his blessing on his people, and they experienced famine. Take a look. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Those two words, severe famine, that's what we need to focus in on. The people were starving. There was no food. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now, ironically, Bethlehem, where they were from, means the house of bread. In, in Hebrew, that's what it means. And so, ironically, this was a place where God blessed with plenty of food. It was a prosperous place where crops would grow and people were fed. They were not starving. They were hungry. But here in Bethlehem, they were experiencing famine. People were starving. I mean, friends, come on. You know something is wrong. <laughs> where you, where you, when you are where food is, but there is no food now. You know something is wrong when God is blessing in an area of your life and now he is no longer blessing. The famine was a consequence of disobedience. God was trying to get their attention. Maybe God's trying to get your attention today. Maybe something is going on in your life in a transition. Maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe it's a hard thing, a difficult time. Maybe it's a dry season. Maybe you feel like your soul is starving. And God is trying to get your attention. He's using this in your life. I mean, Think about it. When bad things happen, do you question? I mean, God, what is, what is going on? Are you trying to tell me something? Those are the questions that we should be asking. Elimelech, his name means God is my king. But he doesn't live like that. I mean, his life became a complete contradiction, uh, contradiction rather, to his name. Instead of, of staying in the city named after God's provision, instead of living out his name, believing that God is king, instead of seeking God, Elimelech is choosing to walk away instead of trusting God. And maybe that's what you're thinking about. Maybe that's where you find yourself right now. Struggling in Bethlehem, Elimelech chooses to move his family to Moab. Now, we all know it's not wrong to move your family. Turn to person next and just tell them it's not wrong to move your family, okay? okay just, I want you to understand that right now, all right? That's not what this is all about. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham to leave his homeland, to move his family to a land that he would show him. So all throughout Scripture, God moves people around, and we understand that, and it takes place. The question is, did God want Elimelech to move his family? Did God tell Elimelech to move his family? And I say, no. I mean, think about this. Moab is only 50 miles from where they are in Bethlehem. And Moab has food. Bethlehem doesn't have food. That should tell you something right there. That should tell you that the famine is only affecting Israel. It should get your attention. 
Rather than dealing with the underlying spiritual cause for this circumstance, Elimelech decides we're just going to run away. We're just, we're going to choose to move. And Moab is not a place that he should be choosing to live in. Moab is not a good place. Moabites were known as godless, sexually perverted people who worshipped a false demon god, Chemosh. They even sacrificed their children to this god. God warned the Jews, don't live among them, never marry people from Moab. When Elimelech moved his family to Moab, they would have traveled, and you see on the map on the screen, they would have traveled north and, and crossed over, guess what, the Jordan River to go into Moab. Now, some of you that know the Bible, you may know the Jordan River. That may ring a bell as to something that's important about crossing the Jordan River. By crossing back over the Jordan River, do you realize what they were doing? Instead of staying in a city named after God's provision, Bethlehem, instead of staying in a land known for God's promise, the promised land, Israel, Elimelech was choosing to relocate his family to Moab. He was walking away from God's blessing, away from God, away from God's provision, away from God's people. Why? Well, to put food on the table. I mean, you can't knock a dad for that, right? You can't knock a husband, a provider, for wanting to put food on his table, and that's what he was wanting to do. I get that. He, he has to provide food for them, but he only provides for them economically, which is really short-sighted. See, Elimelech's choice to move to Moab affects the welfare of his family in ways that he wasn't even considering. He moves his family away from God, away from God's people. He moves his family into the heart of this pagan area of Moab. And in choosing to go to Moab, Elimelech leaves God, leaves God's people. There's not, no one of faith for he and his family to relate to. There's no one of faith that they can connect with who will love them and follow God and all of those. All that he saw was the economics. And without counting the spiritual and relational costs involved in the choice that he made for his family. Husbands, if you're in the room, dads, if you're in the room, it's not just food that we're supposed to provide. We've got to provide a place where our families can have spiritual community. That's what God calls us to. That's part of the leadership that God calls us to in our families, a place where our families can connect with people who follow God, a place where our kids can hang out with kids who follow God, somewhere where our sons and our daughters can marry people who follow God, all of those kinds of things. When you make a decision, husbands, dads, for your family, parents, when you make a decision, you are deciding the relationships that your spouse and your kids will have. You are deciding the spiritual connections social connections of your family. Elimelech never thought about who would be the guys that he would do life with. He never thought about the spiritual influences that his family would, would have. He never thought about where are we going to go to church. Hmm. I, I think we way underestimate the importance of our choices. In fact, that's really what I want us to get today. I want you to get this down. My choices determine my direction in life. My choices determine my direction in life. You have a full-page outline. I'd love for you to fill in the blanks and follow along there. It really helps you just to remember. It's there in your brochure today. What I choose in life 
defines the path that I will take in life. And by choosing to move, Elimelech was choosing to walk away from God. Plus, Elimelech was choosing to move his family away from God. Not just God's promise, but God's provision, God's people, God's purpose. It says in verse 3, during their stay in Moab, Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, so 10 years in, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her husband or her sons. Think about this. They moved to get away from dying. And yet what did they do? They ended up dying. Isn't that ironic? They, they moved away from something and yet they experienced it because they got outside of where God wanted them to be. What Elimelech did is what we're all inclined to do at times. Stepping outside of God's promise to seek our own solutions. And just like Elimelech, what do we find? Heartache, loss. The wisdom of Solomon, he says this, there is a way that seems right to a person, but eventually it leads in what? Death. <laughs> Elimelech struggled. I mean, he struggled as a husband, as a father, provider, moving to a place that, you know, had food seemed the most practical, and yet, here's the kicker. We see in Scripture and the, and the people of Israel would have known that God will provide for us if we follow him. Look what Psalm 33 says. The Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of what? Famine. That's pretty clear. Psalm 37, those who obey the Lord are daily in his care, and what he has given them will be theirs forever. They won't be in trouble when times are bad, and they will have plenty when food is scarce. Huh. See, I'm convinced that God would have provided for Elimelech and his family if he would have trusted him, if he would have stayed right where he was. Instead, they moved, they left, they ran away. And all that they're left with now is three heartbroken widows. I mean, widows in the ancient world huh, was a hard life. Widows had no social status. They had no economic means to survive because they had no male provider. In their culture, it was a male-dominant culture. There, there was no social security. There were no welfare checks there was no assistance programs for widows. There, there were no food stamps. There was no government aid. Widows would be without money and without a home. Can you think of anything worse than to be a widow like Naomi, uprooted from your home, moved to a pagan culture, away from all the people that could help you in a time like this, and now she has buried her husband and her sons. No godly community to lean on. No friends to console her. This is a picture of absolute devastation. It's no wonder that she says she feels bitterness in her soul. 
But here we come to this pivot point, and, and we're going to see several of these throughout the book of Ruth. This story, this narrative has so many pivot points in its plot line. Here we see one. We read about this pivot. Look at it. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah. Don't miss this. Here she is in the land of missing out on everything that God is doing, right where she's at in the midst of all of this grief and loss and death and devastation in her soul and in her life. In that moment, in that season of her life, she hears that God is blessing her pe his people again back in Judah. Hmm. It says that she heard this, that God was blessing his people and giving good crops again. So Naomi, verse 6, and her daughters-in-law get ready to leave Moab and return to the homeland, to their homeland, hers. When we face crisis, we have this choice, all of us do. We either run to God or we run away from God. Elimelech chose to run away from God and then he faced the consequences. But what does Naomi do? Naomi chooses to go back to God. She chooses to go back to God's people. And it says in verse 7, when her, with her two daughters-in-law, Naomi set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. She was going back to God. She was going back to a place where God had, had promised, God had provided, where God's people were. She was going back to this place. And along the way, these three women began to have a conversation. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's mother's homes instead of coming with me. Basically, she's saying, look, I have no money. I have no future. There's no reason for you to be with me, to stay with me. I love you, but go home. Go back and start another life. Naomi gives them the freedom. She sets them free. And then she prays for him. And I love this prayer in verse 8. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. I want you to circle a phrase. May the Lord reward you. Would you circle that phrase in your outline? This is an interesting phrase. If you don't know, the Bible, uh, the Old Testament Jewish scriptures were originally written in, in um, Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic. And then, obviously, they're translated because I don't think that most of us in this room or anywhere else you know, read um, Hebrew. And so we need a little help in understanding it. And fortunately, it's in English for us so that we can understand it. But in Hebrew, there's sometimes meanings to words and, and understandings of how the, the, the uh, words work together that we might miss in our English trans translations. It's really interesting. Here, we're introduced to this um, this key idea, this, this key phrase, uh, the, the word Lord is translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh. Now, you may be familiar with that word. It's a name of Jehovah God, the, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews. It's the name, though, Yahweh is the name specifically of the covenant God of Israel. And that's really important. And you're going to see how that plays out in this story throughout the weeks. But for Naomi to use this word, what she is saying is I still believe in God. I have not turned away from God even though my husband took us here, even though I have faced death in my family, even though I have nothing left and I have no future and no hope, I still believe in God. I believe that God is a promise maker, promise keeper. He is a covenant God. I still believe in him. That's huge. The God of the Bible is, you know, when, when, when God relates to his followers, it's always based on 
covenant. And really, it's an if-then covenant. If you're familiar with any kind of covenants or promises that are made, if-then. I love how the message paraphrase explains the covenant that God has with us. Deuteronomy 7, look what it says. When you, on your part, think of a contract. When you, on your part, will obey these directives, keeping and following them, God, on his part, will keep the covenant of love that he made with you. He will love you. He will bless you. He will increase you. See, this is what Naomi was saying. I still believe in a covenant God. I still believe in a God that made the promise that he would keep me, bless me, increase me. Even though that's not what I'm facing right now. Somebody needs to hear this today. You may be going through a season of life where you're saying, man, I don't have a lot to show for it. I I look at my life and I'm kind of questioning, God, are you really blessing? Are you really here? Are you really working on my behalf? And God is wanting you to know that he's still the same God today that he was yesterday. He's still the same covenant God that is determined to work on your behalf as you follow him. Naomi believed that. The other word that she uses is such a great word. It's the word reward. This is a beautiful Hebrew expression. It's the Hebrew expression has said and what it means is overflowing with love, grace, mercy, compassion, and kindness. It, it's kind of the idea, I, I really was trying to come up with some kind of imagery for us to, to take on, but it's just kind of like, like God is just pouring out into our lives. I've, I've once heard it said that sometimes, you know, we um, are holding a Dixie cup, five-ounce Dixie cup in our hands, and God just is pouring the Pacific Ocean into our lives. And, and that's what his said is. It's just overflowing. He's just pouring out his blessing and his presence and his power and provision and kindness and compassion in our lives. In the Old Testament, his said is always connected with the covenant that God has with his people. Always. To provide for them, bless them, keep them as they follow him. And so Naomi says, bless my daughters-in-law. Oh God, God of the covenant, bless them, be with them. Give them purpose, give them life, give them joy again. Has said. Naomi asked for God to do this with covenant love, and then in verse 9, this is a beautiful scene. She kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Huh. These are three women who really love each other. I mean, this story goes really quickly in the first chapter, but these are three women that have really done life together. I mean, think about it. They've been through a lot in the last 10 years, haven't they? They have stood with each other at funerals. Hmm. Look what they say. No, they said, we want to go with you uh, to your people. We want to be with you. We, we want to support you. We want to be supported by you. We don't want to leave your side. We want to go with you. But Naomi says, why should you go on with me? Can I give birth to other sons who can grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' home. She's saying this is the, the, the futility of you accompanying me. It, it doesn't make sense. Just, just, just go on with your lives. I'm, I'm only going to have uncertainty in my life you, you don't want, there's no point in coming with me. Naomi says, things are far more 
bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Naomi felt like her life was bitter. And who does she hold responsible? Don't miss this. Naomi blamed God for the bitterness she was experiencing. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit later in our series, but I want you to understand something. The Bible, I love this about the Bible. The Bible is honest. It lets you see the real stuff going on in real people's lives. And Naomi was saying, I believe that there's a covenant God, and I believe that he can bless, but for whatever reason, he has taken away from me, and I am bitter. And, and for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it tells me that I have the opportunity to talk to God and express my feelings no matter what I'm feeling. Understanding who he is and understanding the reverence and the awe that I should have for who he is and never disrespecting who he is. And at the same time, God is saying, I'm a big boy. You come to me with any feeling you have and express it to me. Listen, friends, God doesn't want you to hold your feelings away from him. He wants you to come running to him and expressing to him what you're going through and what you're feeling. That's what she was doing. See, in her anguish, what she was expressing was her belief that God is sovereign. Don't miss this. God is sovereign. We'll see more of this later in this series. But Naomi believed that God was in control of everything. No matter what, he's in control of everything. And Naomi did the best thing she could have done. She didn't run away from God. She went right to God. She, she didn't stay where she was in her bitterness and confusion and frustration. She went where she could hear from God. She decided to go to him. Naomi doesn't see it yet. But we're going to see God do some incredible things for her, some incredible things for the one who comes to him in the midst of her anguish. Remember, remember our point. My choices determine my direction in life. Come on, say it with me. My choices determine my direction in life. They really do. I think we way underestimate the importance of our choices. What I choose in life determines which path I take. And again, they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Isn't that beautiful? Here we're seeing the, the character of Ruth for the first time. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Ruth, go home. But Ruth begins to speak. And you may know these words. These words are legendary. They are iconic for this, um, for this book in the Bible. Ruth's words are used in all kinds of things, weddings and different things. These are covenant commitment kinds of words. Take a look at what Ruth says. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Wouldn't you like to have people in your life like that? So committed to you? Hmm. Ruth is at a, a fork in the road. She has a choice. The whole story of the book of Ruth hinges on this choice right here. She didn't realize it, but this is a pivot point in her life. Ruth chooses God. 
Yahweh. I mean, look what she says. May the Lord. Do you notice this? Ruth is using the same word, Yahweh, that Naomi used. And Ruth is a Moabite. She's not from Israel. She would not know what the covenant God of Israel is all about. And yet she's saying to to Naomi, I believe what you believe. I have seen in your life, as long as I've been in this family, and I believe what you believe. I believe in Yahweh. And so Ruth puts herself in a position to experience God, Yahweh, his blessings, his purpose. Ruth doesn't fully understand it at this point. She will in the next several chapters. But Ruth is using the same phrase. Hmm. Remember, my choices determine my direction in life. Say it with me. My choices determine my direction in life. So verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Come on, read those words with me. At the beginning of the barley harvest. Now we read that and we go, oh, that was nice. That's cool. It just kind of gives us, you know, when it was the time of year, date, you know, no. Let's look at this again. They arrived where? They arrived in Bethlehem, the house of bread where God provides, in the promised land of God. They arrived back in Bethlehem where God was, where God's people were, the place that they should never have left. They arrived back in Bethlehem in a place that was starving before, that had famine in the land. They had no food. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. At the beginning of a time when God was blessing again. Huh. Friends, you know what this is? This is hope. That's what this is. The beginning of barley harvest. It's it's hope. The famine is gone. There's a whole new season of harvest in Israel. It's the beginning of a whole new season for Naomi and Ruth. Next week we'll see how things are going to get better. They're not just going to stay bitter. They're going to get better. But we need to be reminded of this. You need to be reminded of this. That if you come back to God, if you choose to follow God, there's hope. I mean, there's, a, there's an Old Testament passage that you may have heard of before that I, I, I'm so sure it speaks of this. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a what? 